Welcome to episode 23 of the Stay at Home with Severn Run podcast, where each week we try to create a space for encouragement, empathy, and real talk in a world that needs just a little bit of all three. My name is John West. I'm the creative leader at the church at Severn Run, and joining me is our kids leader, Allison Fournier. We hope that today you can walk away with something insightful or new that will inspire your faith walk in a real and practical way. And we are joined, uh, like we are every month, by our special contributor, from Ms. Barnes. Yes, and I'm joining you from the lovely Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> well, thank you for, for joining us from afar. We appreciate it. Uh, how are you guys doing? How, how's how's your night going? How's Well, we're recording at night. I guess we don't usually tip our hand to when we record, but we're recording at night right now. How are you guys night going? <laughs> Sorry. I forgot what day it was. So. Oh, okay, good, good. That's always good. <laughs> Allison has forgotten what day what day it is. Ramiz, how are you hanging over there in Charlotte? Hey, man, it's, it's midweek. Got to get over this hump. Uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So we are recording on the first week of school uh, in Maryland, and um, we're all parents. So, you know, that's yeah. fun. <laughs> Virtual learning. So. Yay! Um, so... As we uh, as we've said before, uh, once a month we like to turn our attention to um, the issues of race in America and kind of pick a different topic to cover each week. And this week is a little bit different in the sense that uh, there's an article that's kind of driving our conversation. And um, you know, it's been uh, I was in was it May or June that George Floyd was killed? I am not remembering right now. Um, May, that's right in front of me in this article. Um, In May, uh, in May, when George Floyd was killed, um, you know, this kind of started our conversations here at Seven Run, um, uh, reignited some conversations at Seven Run about race in America. And so we are now, what, uh, three months removed from that. Um, And there is an article in, um, on NPR, that is a, a poll that was taken and kind of the big headline is that, um, as race has become a central topic in America, um, white Americans are the least engaged. Um, uh, so basically, so the question was since the death of George Floyd in May, um, have you personally taken any actions to better understand racial issues in America? And uh, among those who responded who are white, only 30% um, had taken any action to better understand the racial issues in America. So we're not even talking like taking action as far as like going to a protest or anything like that. We're not talking about anything on that level. We're just talking about uh, an action to better understand what is happening. Um, in comparison, uh, 41% of black Americans said they had 51% of Hispanic Americans and 49% of Asian Americans. And so we thought we would just spend tonight, um, talking about, um, number one, why, why are, and I'm going to say we as white people, cause I'm white, <laughs> um, you know, why, why, 
are we not engaged in this conversation? Um, what are some of the reasons behind it? And um, what are some ways that we can be um, productively engaged um, and not just part of kind of the noise, but actually be productive in our engagement and learn. So, um, yeah, we've, we've all read this, this article. We've all kind of looked at this study. So I just wanted to get some quick takeaways from you guys as far as just what's your, you know, initial reactions of what you see here. Ladies first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think we were, as we talked about this article a little bit today in the, in our messaging, one of the things that I kind of wonder about maybe could be a reason for the lack of, um, action taken by white people predominantly is I think sometimes it's fear, um, fear of saying or the wrong thing or of, um, making it, I don't want to say making it worse, but like saying something ignorant or doing something like it's just that, um, not doing something out of fear of doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good question. And I think we can definitely dig into that too. It's like, is that what part of that, um, what kind of role does that play in all of this? So, mm-hmm. um, Ramiz, what's kind of your, your first takeaway from this? Well, I, I think that number one, you know, this has become a, a situation of awareness because of we're here, we're all at home. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all have, uh, our TVs, our phones, laptops, Chromebooks, whatever the case may be. And we were getting, to, we saw these, this image, Time and again, we saw the video time and again, you know, when you're scrolling on Instagram, you're scrolling on Facebook, a lot of times you have autoplay and you can't even stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're forced to watch it or you're forced to see a part of it before you are able to turn away. So you can't, it's hard to run from it. Whereas if we were in a state of everybody was in their regular way of life, day to day, hustle, bustle, going back forth to work in a rat race, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't take the time about it. You know, and I, and, you know, and to further, you know, going into the thing of why a white person might not engage. I mean, the status quo, it is the status quo. I mean, if you, you if you're used to receiving benefits. Do you want to lose those benefits? It's like, you know, how we criticize Congress about giving themselves a raise. Of course, you're going to give yourself a raise. Who wouldn't want more money? Who wouldn't want to keep the status quo if things are right for you? You know, so I I take a little, you know, different perspective on it because I can understand it if it was, you know, if I was in somebody else's shoes and I received certain benefits, you know, we sometimes we call it white privilege. You know, would I really want to change the way my life is? I mean, why, you know, why would I want there be things to change? You know, just speaking, you know, speaking totally, you know, from a humanistic perspective, why would, why would I want things to change? I mean, life is good. You know, and I mean, for for most of the time, people have seen to turn a blind eye to the pain and suffering that goes on in the streets or the pain and suffering that they see 
at their job when somebody's being harassed or, you know, whether it be man, woman, black, Latino. We a lot of times we turn our, we turn a blind eye. So, I mean, a lot of times we want to just avoid it to, you know, try to keep our head spaced as well. So there, there's a multitude of factors, but, you know, those are just a few of them. You know, some of them, sometimes you just want to bury your head in the sand and you didn't see it. I don't want to, I don't want to cause a ripple in the water. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to ruffle no feathers. So it's, it's many different factors that can, that it can be. But I would say the most prominent among those is you don't mind keeping the status quo. I do think what's interesting about what you're, the point you're making is it's probably a lot more, um, I don't want to say com- common's not right, the right word. I feel like what you're, the point you're making is the fact that like it's on, on one level kind of human nature to avoid conflict. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of human nature to avoid conflict and to not confront things that are hard because it's going to take work. Um, but I think what's particularly interesting about what you're saying is that not just as, as humans, but as white Americans, um, it, it just reminds me of what something um, Charles Bilo said when he first sat down to speak with Pastor Drew, which was like, he basically said, you know, he kind of redefined white privilege uh, to, in a way to say basically like, do you have to think about your skin color every day when you walk out the door? And then in every other moment during that day, when you come in contact with somebody else and think about how your skin color might affect the interaction you're having. And that for me was a really eye-opening to hear because I thought about my life and went, no, I don't have that. And so I think for us as, as white Americans, the status quo is that we don't have to think about that. And so the fact that we are now having a national conversation about it is super, super uncomfortable because we don't think about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are plenty of times, especially since like I had to drive down here, you know, I'm constantly looking for, uh, I will say I have speeded quite a bit in my life, first of all. So I <laughs> but you know, some of the interactions that I, you know, I've, I haven't had any bad interactions, but at the same point in time, I also have to think, when I'm getting pulled over, okay, how am, how am I going to play this? Am I going to just answer his questions or am I going to question him? Now, a lot of times I choose not to question. You know, the question will be asked, hey, how do you know how fast you're going? No, nah, I don't even know. And I might know off top, I might know off the top of my head, but I'm just like, no, nah, I don't even know. Where are you going? I, you know, I'm going home, North Carolina, or whatever the case may be. Because I don't need those type of problems. I don't need you pulling a gun out on me. I don't need you to rouse me for any reason. You know, I mean, nowadays when I get pulled over, there is an anxiousness. 
that 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 hasn't been there in a long time. You know, driving period. I know if I see a cop behind me and I see him behind me for more than a block or two, I was like, okay, he's running my plates. You know, okay, all right, let me see if he's going to turn on this next block. And if he doesn't turn and he stays behind me, all right, I'm probably going to get pulled in a minute. Or, you know, I'm waiting to see if he's going to switch lanes and go somewhere else. You know, these are things that a lot of people don't even think about. But there are things that we have to think about constantly. You know, anytime I get pulled over, I think my, my hands either go up or they go on the steering wheel. Because I don't want to give you a reason to pull your gun. You know, so those things, yeah, those things are constants in our minds and in our lives that, you know, a lot of people don't have to think about. Their lives, they just live their lives freely. So, Ramiz, I think that the thing we're hitting on here, and you sent us another article too about this video. Um, it's a Washington Post article, um, and we can link it. Um, but basically, a school district in Virginia showed a video that's been showed for years and years and years to kind of describe um, discrimination and um, and uh, yeah, discrimination. I mean, it's basically it's basically you know structural racism, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of the is kind of what it's depicting and. And there was a big backlash from parents uh, that it was basically like a white guilt video. And I think what we're hitting on right now and what's kind of, um, I think it's what's hard for probably a lot of white Americans to understand and for us to realize is that this isn't about us. <laughs> um, you know, it's not, it's not, a, and it is, it is, and is it, it is, and it isn't, it's not, it's not about us necessarily being guilty. Um, and, you know, we've had conversations too about, and I've been part of conversations about white privilege recently where, you know, uh, the only type of privilege that someone can, can process is financial privilege. And that's why I went back to that, that Charles Bilo said because it was it was that for me that completely redefined what white privilege is, which is it's all of the advantages I have because I'm white, um, not just a specific set of advantages, um, and those look different in different contexts. Um, but you know, to me, really, the thing was I don't have to think about the fact that I'm white. <laughs> I can go about my day and I don't have to think about that. Um, and what negative or positive consequences may come of it. Um, and so I think that this video kind of, again, it was labeled kind of a white guilt video. Um, although it had been used for years and years and years to kind of describe what discrimination looks like. And I think what sometimes, I think sometimes what, uh, is felt, probably as white Americans is that it's, um, I don't know, maybe that it's our fault. Mm -hmm. And I think that because of that, we feel really uncomfortable and, um, and that's not to say 
it's not a white man's fault because it was at one point um, to kind of start the system, right? But um, but how can we take ownership of the fact that uh, historically white people have oppressed other races? How can we take ownership of that? And at the same time say, it's not about me feeling guilty. It's about me understanding the perspective of others and understanding how the system is set up and how, what can I do to not be a part of that system? Does that make sense? I just process a lot out loud. So I'm just trying to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely a part of it. You definitely have to understand where a black person, person of color is coming from before you can, you, you have, you have to open yourself up to be able to understand a lot of times the anger, the disappointment. I had a friend who died of cancer back in 2009. He was a teacher. He was a college graduate. He was a man of faith. And when he died and I went to that service and I knew that, you know, he had been a teacher since we were in college, 12 years, something like that. And I went to the, I went to his funeral and his son is my godson. And I'd never seen this before in my life in a church that the line stretched out the door for people to come meet the family. And finally, the funeral director had to shut the door to stop people from coming in. And that was the impact that he had on so many kids. There was a pastor that spoke at his funeral that said she had him as a kindergartner or that he had her as a kindergartner in a class and she still recalled the way he taught. He, he, they still recalled his lessons. They still recalled the lessons that they were taught. And so that was the impact that he had on a generation of kids. Now imagine the impact that so many of these men or women could have had on their communities if they had not been locked up, if they had not been stressed to a point that they lost their lives due to hypertension, whatever the case may have been. Or imagine, you know, those that have just been beaten up and thrown away by life, what they could have been, what they could have given to this society. I mean, so that's, you know, a simple story, but there are many more out there like that. And there's many more that are probably a lot worse. You know, we don't, there's a case here since I'm at home in North Carolina that I recently saw of a man who was locked up for 44 years for a crime he didn't commit. So he went to jail 44 years. That puts us back, what, 76? So back in 76, they used a typewriter. Now you can't find a typewriter. There was no, no such thing as a cell phone. So this man comes out in the world that he knew no longer exists. So there, 
this is so multifaceted in the the system that has been set in place is a monster. To put it quite frankly, it's a monster. And there have been plenty of men and women that have beaten their head against this wall of systemic racism and it's beating them down or it's beating them into submission. So, I mean, if anyone ever asks the question of what they can do, you know, just take a minute and think about all those, all these things that are like a brick wall that you do. You got to try to scale. And then once you scale that brick wall, you got to try to walk through a minefield. And if you get through that minefield, then, okay, you got to, you got to scale another mountain. You got to swim. So you're doing like 12 triathlons. Imagine how you feel after that. You know, there's, you know, this meme out on online that says, white people are tired of us talking about racism. Imagine how we feel. Hmm. You know, so there's a lot. Like I said, it's it's a monster. You know, and there's no one way around it. There's no one way to solve it. You know, the answer is going to take a village. And that's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be a village coming together and saying no more. I feel like what your stories are helping with is helping us to understand that there's not an easy solution. Um, this The easy solution is get to know people. <laughs> yeah. And like hear their stories because like, honestly, you know, when we talk about what are productive ways for us to engage, um, and I don't even think this is just, and I'm not saying this specifically for white people. I think just in general, like for anyone, uh, the a productive way for us to engage is not to go try to start a fight on the online or spout our opinions. It's to sit down with people and hear their story and, you know, and ask questions and try to understand, um, you know, where, where does the anger come from? Where does the frustration come from? Where, what am I, what have I experienced and seen in my life that you have not experienced and seen in your life? And it's primarily because our skin tones are different. I think maybe a lot of what we're seeing is people just aren't taking the time to acknowledge each other. Um, I can speak to a tiny fraction of this is I've had people want to know about my son and his special needs. And it's like the way they, like, I don't care how people ask about it. Um, it just means a lot to me that they ask and that they're making that effort to, um, 
understand. And so I think it's a lot of how can me, I'll take me as an example, as a white woman who grew up with white people who went to a high school that had a gra- my graduating class was 856. There was probably five black people in my um, graduating class. Like, how can I, are people like me, how can we take a step? Like, how can we can say, hey, like, I see you. I see you as my brother. I see you as my friend. How can I take a step in understanding? And then what can I do? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have to meet people somewhere. Mm-hmm. If they're not, if they're late coming to the party, that's fine. As long as you come and you're willing to be, you know, willing to listen, yeah. you know, someone is willing to educate you. Yeah. You know, that is, that's the key thing. You have to come, you know, willing, willingly. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to be ready to have probably have some darts thrown at you, you know, mm-hmm. not personally at you, but figuratively at you because there's a lot to unload. There's a lot to be unpacked. Mm-hmm. I mean, the vi- the video that we just, you know, that we were talking about, you know, there was, you speak on slavery. Then you go to, uh, you can go to reconstruction and there's sharecropping and that type of thing. Then you go to Jim Crow. Then you go to redlining. You know, then you go to the prison industrial complex, you know, there, you know, you can go to the education systems. There being two very different educational systems, you know, then you go to what's going on in the streets out in Portland, Kenosha, mm-hmm. Chicago, wherever the case may be that people are rioting in the street. And then you got someone on your TV screaming, they want to bring law and order. But at the same point in time, you're not willing to understand why these people are in the street. Mm-hmm. You want to fix the symptom, but you don't want to treat the actual cause That's of a good. disease. That's what's going on. People are not willing to treat the actual disease that is at hand. They don't care about the, they don't care about the actual root cause of it. They you say, Hey, Hey, I'm going to give you a pill. Go home, relax, and chill out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of the thing that's been going on time and again. There'll be a flare-up in Baltimore. And then once that calms down and that time passes, there'll be a flare-up in New York that goes by time passes. And it happens time and again. And yet, you know, it's funny that you can take a picture from... 1960s Memphis and you can place it in Kenosha, Wisconsin now. You know, there were signs that went on went on in Memphis during the Memphis sanitation workers strike that they had signs that said, I'm a man. That's how badly they wanted to be acknowledged and held as equals. They had signs that said, I am a man. And yet, 2020 and I can turn on a basketball game and I can see somebody on the back of the jersey saying have have the saying I'm a man so how far have we not come 
that those phrases still ring true today. You mentioned the younger generation. Um, I mean, I work in kids ministry, so I'm always thinking about kids. How can we as parents um, better raise up our children to to love one another, to um, respect one another? Like, how can we, or how can we even explain what's going on Churchill? I mean, I know we were in the car as a family one time and um, my daughter noticed people um, who were holding signs and they were um, doing a peaceful protest and she she asked what they were doing. Um, how can we start having these conversations with our children? I mean, when they ask questions, you got to give them the, the most honest response. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's there. You know, these people are protesting because of whatever the reason is that they're marking it to project, for, you know, their protest for injustice, their pro they're protesting for injustice, you know, and we also, as adults, parents, whatever the case may be, we have to watch whether our actions match up with our words, you know, because the kids are always watching, mm-hmm. you know, my, you know, my daughter, you know, she loves to clown me or clown her mother. <laughs> and I know that she clowned me for the way I say, say my wife's name. And of course, my wife got a kick out of it. I really didn't. But <laughs> that's her watching me and mimicking me. And it's not something I even thought about. It's not bad. It's not good. It's who I am. And it's the way I call her name. But I never thought about, oh, Megan's watching and she's going to pick up on it. I mean, there's other things that she's picked up on that I've done that I'm just like, okay, you know, you got me on that one. So that those are things that we have to be mindful of, of course, of how we, you know, we raise them up, you know, and if, you know, there's a saying that's been around forever, each one teach one. So no matter what, you can learn something from anybody. A lesson can be taught from any man or woman that you meet on the street. So be open to that. You know, you know, you there's no telling how enlightening a conversation with someone can be. Yeah, I, I love that, and I think that you know, Ramiz, you're uh, what I'm learning more and more about you. I think uh, the more time we spend together, is you're a storyteller, and you you are able to go back into your your past and, you know, grab something and say, you know, look at this. And I think part of that too is just, you know, I, I, I've been searching all day, uh, honestly for like scripture to kind of relate to this in some way. Um, and I went a couple different directions, but honestly, like I just hit me as we were talking, like it all comes back to what Jesus tells us is the greatest commandment, which is, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And I guess, you know, my, my, uh, grief right now on one level is how much do we hate ourselves as people like personally hate ourselves to be in a place as a culture where we are so hateful towards others because what Jesus said is 
we should love others as we love ourselves. And if, if that is truly the benchmark by which we judge our, our culture right now, then we must really hate ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if it is true and that is it, and that is how we are supposed to act as Christians, which is to love others as we love ourselves. First of all, we've got to learn how to love ourselves better. And then we also have to learn how to love others equally as well, which I don't know anyone who wants to be, who wants to be judged, who wants to be disenfranchised, who wants to not have a certain set of privileges or rights. Like I don't know anyone who would voluntarily put themselves in, put themselves in that camp. And so I think as a, as the church, as Christians, we have to say, and this is, you know, again, all of this is sticky. And, (laughs) uh, but like, no matter our, the beliefs that we've been taught or the political bents that we've been convinced of, um, we have to say is what I'm saying or what I'm doing, loving this person well and if it's not then we aren't right and i feel like that was something um you know we did just having conversations as a staff i do think as a white person and i asked this question um you know i want i want you to know that i love you and i support you and that i want there to be um equality. I want there to be equity. I want there to be uh, a leveling of the playing field and a greater desire, you know, see a greater desire for us as a culture to love one another as we should. Um, But how do I know that I'm doing that? And the response was, show me, you know, show me that you love me, show me these things. And, And so I think, on some level, we've put too much um, too much weight in talking about it, and not enough weight in actually demonstrating our love for each other. Love is definitely the greatest of these. Um, so we have to realize that love is definitely an action verb, and that we need to demonstrate it to. Um, everyone that we come in contact with, they need to understand that there's love in our hearts. And I myself is an introvert and as someone who spends a lot of time isolated, you know, I don't mind the quarantine because I'm like, okay, I ain't got to see nobody. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I need to get better at that myself. So I'll admit to my shortcomings. You know, and I have to, you know, listen more. Not that I, not that I talk a lot, because that does not happen. Uh, but I definitely you save it all for here. Yeah, 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 yeah. After, after this, I'm not speaking till tomorrow for sure. <laughs> um, so you know, you you gotta listen and not try to figure out the end of the story. I I'm very guilty of that. That I listen. And I'm trying to figure out the end of the story. And my wife kills me for that. 
So I definitely have to get better at, at my listening and keeping my mouth shut. I mean, you mentioned pushing yourself out of your introvertedness. So, I mean, just shameless plug for you telling your story over, I don't know, a campfire. I mean, just saying. Um, <laughs> no, um, just thank you. Thank you for your willingness to um, share with us and your willingness to help, to help me understand. I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you. You're welcome. I hope that this conversation is the start of other conversations for other folks who are listening um, to, to take some steps in discovering, uh, who they are, um, that they are loved and, uh, can find love with them in themselves. And that we're then called to, to love others because I, I think, you know, in, in everything, you know, I'm thinking back to your friend now room is who you're talking about, who's a teacher, you know, there's a reason why there was a line out the door to see him for his funeral. Right. Yeah. It's because of the love that he demonstrated to other people. And yeah, we just were so lacking of that right now, uh, culturally. Um, and I think it's, it's why we don't engage. It's why it's the reason we use to not engage. It's, it's easier. It's a lot, it's a lot harder to sit down and listen. It's a lot harder to sit down and love and to, to spend the time. And until we do, I'm afraid we're still going to be in this same boat. So, um, man, I just ended that really depressing, but, uh, sorry guys, you guys did great. You did wonderful. Good job. I think, uh, yeah, hard conversation, but, um, I don't know. I, I really feel, uh, inspired and encouraged by it tonight. So thank you guys for, um, for all your, your contributions and remiss just for continuing to tell us stories uh, that continue to reveal um, just so many different perspectives. So we thank you for that, man. All right. And uh, we will link in the show notes, uh, these two articles that we had, we had referenced, um, dig into them a little bit because they're, they're pretty interesting. And um, until next time, I think, you know, we'll, we will have remiss back in about a month or so. Uh, tackling another topic and um, but until then we hope you go out there and love well live Jesus believe big and make lots of bloopers we'll see you guys next week hey everyone and welcome to episode 23 of the stay at home pod uh, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> just gonna do that again I had a really good streak going of not screwing up this intro but oh well here we go Oh, I just don't want to sound like a stupid person. Okay, that's where I'm at right now. Like, I don't want that's to. Sound, are you like edit this part out? Okay. Oh, like, don't worry. I'm this will get edited. Yeah. <laughs>